Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, we welcome all of you, especially those of you who are guests here for the first time. Uh, I'm going to say right up front, New Life's a sort of a different kind of church uh, than typical, and uh, we're, we're, I don't want to say we're proud of that, but uh, we, we're purposeful in that because uh, a lot of churches, uh, hmm, how do I want to say this? A lot of churches have forgotten that Jesus didn't just get born 2,000 years ago, and he didn't just die on a cross, but he rose from the dead. And actually, Pastor Mark Geppert, my good friend from Southeast Asia Prayer Center, he often says, many churches live as if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And we're in this Christmas season, and so we do look back to the birth of Jesus. In fact, last night we had baptisms here, and I said to the group that was here last night, I'm so thankful that we have a historical, a historical faith. You know, we, we're, we didn't make all this stuff up. There actually was a guy named Jesus who came to the earth. He was born as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin. And then he rose from the dead, and, and that wasn't the end of it. He went back to heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit to live in people. Anyone who trusts Jesus as Savior, which means saves us from sin and death, and Lord, which means he becomes our master, and one day he's coming back. And the only historical part of our faith that hasn't happened yet is his coming back. And he is going to come back. And this season in a lot of the church world is called Advent. Advent means coming. And usually the focus is on the 2,000 years ago coming. But, but I'm focused on the next coming, you know, because that's the one that is going to make the eternal difference for everybody. At that moment when Jesus returns, uh, we're either going to go be with him forever or we're going to be separated from him forever. And it's an urgent thing. And so we never apologize that we talk about Jesus all the time here. I mean, he is our God, and we're always going to talk about Jesus. And I said last night, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. If Jesus comes back before I die, that would be my preference. But if he doesn't, there will be somebody else standing up here talking about Jesus because we're going to continue to talk about the one true and living God who has a son named Jesus who saved the world from sin and death. And, and I know you might be sitting here today going, well, my life is terrible right now. I mean, I don't feel like this Jesus guy did anything for me. And the truth of the matter is, all of us in the room are going through something that isn't fun right now. We have physical pain, or we might have some kind of emotional pain or spiritual pain. We might have a terminal disease. We all have a terminal disease. You know, we're all going to die because sin came into the world. But the truth of the matter is, all of that was overcome by Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to celebrate God's presence for, for a lot of different reasons. And those of you who are uh, members and regular participants of New Life know that today's the day I'm going to announce a number. Um, and some of you have been anticipating that number. But I want to tell you, if you're an outsider, that is, you don't belong to New Life, you haven't been here the last seven weeks, we've been in this series. It's very important to us. We believe it's very important to everybody. The series has been called, as you could tell, Just Say Yes, and this is the culmination of the Just Say Yes series. And at the very beginning, I said to everybody there that day, if you're new here, if you've only been here a week or two, we don't talk about stuff that's internal very much. We're not an insider kind of a church. We were, we were birthed to reach people who haven't yet trusted Jesus or who have just got fed up with church and, and want to try something where, you know, Jesus is the focus and the Bible is true, 
and, and where people are excited about that. Somebody said to me today, you look awake today. Really? Oh, thanks. I'm, 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 do I mostly not look awake? Uh, I mean, I, I, thought I, was, I thought I usually do, but I'm, I'm enthusiastic and excited today because there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And back seven weeks ago, I said that this Yes Initiative, which is what we're talking about, a three-year fundraising campaign to eliminate the debt on this building and to build a new children's nurture and discipleship center, um, I said it's much more than just that kind of a financial campaign, but it's going to be a time where we get to deepen our commitment to Jesus Christ. We get to say yes to him in every area of our lives, and we get to um, basically become more generous people because God is a generous God, and all of that has happened, and it's really difficult sometimes to, how, how do you measure if a church, as a church, is, is healthy? Uh, you know, a lot of people measure it according to attendance, and, and money. Now, if those were the measures, then this past seven weeks has been pretty amazing because two weeks ago, we had 907 people in our four worship gatherings, which is the first time we've ever had more than 900 people in a weekend other than Christmas or Easter. And everybody knows in every church, there's a lot more people on Christmas and Easter, but we had more than 900 people. And then uh, I am going to announce this number. Uh, we've been talking about for over a three-year period, how much money are we going to, um, you know, contribute as a, as a collective group above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings, second-mile giving, we call it. And, and one of the things that we said at, at the time when we started that thing was we had a goal. Now, the goal was $1 million was our victory goal. And $2 million was a miracle goal. But I had a different goal. And Pastor Mark Geppard and I, back in August, we were over in Cambodia, and he said, tell me about this campaign, because he's on our board, uh, our board of directors, and, and he said, how much money do we really need? And I said, well, it's $3 million for the building, and, and he said, but how much do we still owe on the building we have? And he said, so our goal should be to eliminate our debt over the next three years. And I said, oh, I can agree with that. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. So we agreed in August that $4 million ought to be the goal. And we're still agreeing in prayer for that. Every day, I pray, God, in the next three years, you know, we want to see $4 million. So that isn't how much came in or, or is pledged. How much has actually come in is $217,000 in cash has already come in. Now, the commitments over the three coming years keep, keep changing. In fact, last night I announced a number, which is not right today because we got three more gifts overnight. So the, the, no, the new number as of today is one million. $31,670.15. I think that's a pretty cool number over the next three years. And, and I believe, and you can laugh at me if you want to, but I noticed nobody's really laughing. A couple, about eight, how many years ago was it? 2007. Nine years ago, I announced from the high school auditorium that in seven weeks, we were going to raise $76,000. And three people laughed out loud. Because that was just, I mean, it was as impossible as $4 million would be today. Um, but, but God did that um, back in those days. And so that was just to purchase this land, to finish paying for the land. So we have this time in which God seems to be very active here. And it wasn't just about money. Some of you, in fact, a handful of you committed your life to Jesus for the very first time in the last seven weeks. Dozens of you recommitted your life to serving Jesus over the past seven weeks. One guy, after the just, uh, oh, the cost of saying no message, on the next day he called the church. He was so convicted by that message that he said, I want to do something right now that's going to be significant, not to build a building. I want to do something right now that's going to impact the kingdom of God for Jesus. 
And so I called my good friend, Matt Guppert, who's the president now of SEAPC, and I said, hey, Matt, do you have a special need right now? Something that, you, you know, that you've been praying about. And he started laughing, and I said, what? He said, the three, three of us in the office were just praying because we forgot to budget for the kids in all of our orphanages, 365 children, we forgot to budget for them to have um, school supplies, and school starts in November there. So um, I said, oh, okay, how much is that? And they said, $35 a kid. It's $12,775. So we called the person back. He goes, yeah, I'll cover that. But what else? So we said, well, we need scholarships for 10 of our young people in middle school and high school to go to the retreats this fall. Uh, and, and how much is that? $85 a piece. $850. I'll cover that. How about something else? <laughs> so, so, so then we said, well, we need some new technology in our check-in area and, and security for the children. I'll take care of that. So he did, took care of all of that. So, so God has been doing some really cool things. And ordinarily, what happens when those kind of things happen here at New Life, I go, yeah, that's New Life. You know, that's what happens, and that's what's next. You know, okay, we got a million dollars coming in over the next three years. We need three million more dollars over the next three years. Let's move on to the next thing. That's what I usually do. But at our annual board meeting a couple weeks ago, Pastor John Nuzo and Pastor Jim Graff said, Chris, stop. I said, what? He, they said, you got to celebrate this. He said, you realize, th this, was a, this blew my mind away. He said, you realize you have more people per capita in worship every weekend than Joel Osteen. I said, how do you figure that? They said, well, Houston has 4 million people and they got 25,000. He said, Saxonburg has 1,800 people and you had 900 in church. You have to celebrate that. So what we're going to do right now, you know, I know church is supposed to be serious. It is serious. I, I'm being very serious right now. But, you know, serious doesn't have to mean somber, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment, just a moment, and we're going to celebrate. Now, how are we going to celebrate? The Bible says, I want to do something biblical, right? It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? That's for all of us who can't sing very well, right? So, but... But right now, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I want you to, you know, give a joyful noise, a hoot, a holler, or whatever, a clap, you know. And if you're more reserved, you can hum. I don't know. I'm not going to make you stand up and dance like Pastor Brad did last week. Okay? So ready? Ready? One, two, three. Yeah! All right. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you so much for what you're doing among us. God, as we have come before you over these past seven weeks asking you to do more than we can ask or imagine, you, you've answered that. And God, I pray that you'll continue to do that in our lives. And as we turn to your word today, open our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we might receive a word from you today that we can live out in this week ahead so that we can be more effective uh, disciples and, and followers of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... The mission of New Life, I'm going to catch up here, Lois. Uh, the, the, this lady here, Rebecca, she's amazing. Lois Plesgowski, let's just give her a hand. You don't even know who she is, maybe. She's the pro presenter person. I haven't said anything hardly that's on my, my message yet, and she has a strict outline to follow, and you all might have an outline you're following if you're in a small group. So the first thing is, I'm going to tell you what our mission is, to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time, all right? And a million dollars will help us to do that locally uh, in a very big way. And, and realize, too, that over the course of these next three years, your regular tithes and offerings will be several million dollars. 
And those will go throughout the world to continue to do what our mission says it is. And at the very beginning of this series, we handed out a little book called The Treasure Principle, which if you would like a copy of that, we still have some left if you're new. But in that Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn told us, here's the Treasure Principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So we've been sending our treasure on ahead because treasure in heaven is lives changed. And so I know that we've seen hundreds of lives, thousands of lives potentially changed over these past seven weeks. Now, um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to close out this series by focusing on this particular statement, where God dwells. Now, I know dwells is an older kind of fashion word. We could say where God lives. Where God lives. And our take-home point, which is the one point that I'm going to make today... Um, says this about where God dwells. God cannot be contained in buildings, but he does meet us in them when we dedicate ourselves to him. God doesn't live in a house, but God will meet us in a house if we dedicate ourselves to him in that place. God created the universe. He created everything the universe contains. So it's, it's ludicrous for us to think that God could be contained in a building. And yet, Jesus promised that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's with us. So he's here right now. He is with us in a special way because there are more than two or three of us gathered in his name. But when I was growing up, when people said, church, I'm going to church, it's a location, it's a building, right? In fact, when I was growing up, we used to call it God's house. We went to God's house on Sunday morning, usually, right? And so we, we had this idea that God was located in a place. And there's been this sort of movement down through church history ever since Jesus was on the earth and established his church. And the movement, sort of the pendulum has swung left and it swung right. And the one side says, we need to build magnificent sanctuaries and temples and buildings so that God can be worshipped there. And then on the other extreme have been the people that says, God doesn't need a building. In fact, we need to gather in our homes. We need to gather in small groups, just, you know, two, three, ten people. And so if a church gets to be big, that's a bad thing for a church to be big. It's a good thing because the church is people. It always has been, always will be. And so the the truth of the matter is we need small. And and a couple weeks ago, if you were here... uh, what happened was the Apostle Paul was meeting uh, with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, this is recorded, and, and he gave us a very important instruction. Here's what he said. He said, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, and then he says, either publicly or in your homes. So Paul met with the Ephesian believers publicly in large groups and in their homes in small groups. So it isn't either a big building or in our homes, it's, it's both. And that's what I said a couple weeks ago. If you really want to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ, then you need, and we need, we all need to come together in worship corporately. And we also need to have that small group, two, three, five, ten, whatever it might be, where we get together and we, we fellowship together and we pray together and we read God's word together and we, and we serve in Jesus' name. Because God created us for relationship. And when we get together, this is the best venue when we get together in a group like this to worship God, to glorify him, to praise him as we sing praises together. Because some of us are like me. We can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know. But there's a lot of people who can. And when we all put our voices together, it it rises to God in a glorifying way. But we also need those times because if you're hurting right now, I can't really help you very much. But if you're hurting right now and you get in a group with two, five, ten people, then there we can minister to you. We can meet each other's needs because it really is all about relationship. 
So, this idea that God is in a house or God is in a place, this is an old idea in our faith, you know. This, this idea happened basically when the Israelites, who are our spiritual ancestors, were freed from slavery in Egypt and they came to the wilderness. And Egypt and Israel are so close together that if you're walking, it should never take more than two weeks to get from Egypt to Israel. But it took the Israelites 40 years because they were disobedient to God. So during that time of meandering around in the wilderness, God told Moses, who was the leader of the Israelites, that, they, that he wanted them to build a house, actually a tent, called the tabernacle or tent of meeting. And, and the, all of this is in uh, the, the second, third, fourth, and fifth books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so God had Moses uh, build, well, actually the people of Israel built this very elaborate tent And everywhere they would go, they would stop and they would set up the tent. And when they set up the tent, Moses would go into the tent and and God would come in and this cloud would come down. And I mean, everybody knew when God was in the house because this big cloud was hovering over the house. And God spoke to Moses, it says in the Bible, face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Now that was good and bad. You know what was good about it? Everybody knew that there was a God and everybody knew that God talked to Moses. The bad thing was God wasn't talking to anybody else. And everybody else was afraid of God. They were afraid that if they talked to God, they would die. So that wasn't really the best arrangement. And when the Israelites finally got out of the wilderness and went into the promised land of Israel, Joshua was their leader. Moses died before they came into the promised land. And after Joshua died, this cycle of events repeated itself over and over and over for centuries. And what would happen is the Israelites, believe it or not, after all that God had done for them, they disobeyed God. They abandoned God and started worshiping the idols of the people of the you know, the, the native peoples that were living there. And so God would deliver the Israelites into slavery again to a local group of people there. And, and they would be in slavery for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And they would cry out to God and God would send a deliverer. We call him a judge. You can read about this in the book of Judges. And, and the judge would come and there would be an army established and they would overcome their enemies and they would have freedom again. And they would worship God for a couple of minutes, it seems like. And they turned away from him again. And then they would go back into slavery from another group of people. And this cycle over and over and over and over again. And after a bunch of these cycles, the Israelites cried out to God, we need a king. We need a king like every other nation. If we just had a king, everything would be great. And God said, but I'm your king. And they said, well, we don't want you to be our king. We want a king that we can see. You know, we want a king who's going to, what they really didn't know, put taxes on us, take our kids away and put them in the military. You know, they're going to make us into slaves and servants. We want a king like that. And so God said, all right. And so the first king of Israel was named Saul. And Saul was a good king for a few minutes, maybe a couple days, a couple weeks. He was humble. He he seemed like a good leader. But then Saul became arrogant and proud. And, And he really wanted to be the one in charge instead of God. And God had chosen Saul as the king so God could speak through Saul and lead through Saul. But Saul didn't see it that way. So God let Saul be the king for 40 years. But in the meantime, even during that time, God called another king. And this king was a very unlikely character. I mean, this kid was, you know, he was the eighth and youngest son of a guy named Jesse who lived in Bethlehem. And he was a shepherd. That's what he did as a living. And nobody would have expected David would become the king. 
But David was the king, and he became the greatest king in the history of Israel. In fact, even today, you know, the Israel, what is the symbol of Israel? The star of David. David is the king of kings, except for Jesus, right? He's the king that every, every Israelite would say, that was the king. And so at the end of David's life, he says, you know, God, I think you should have a house. Just like you had out in the wilderness, you know, the tent of meaning, but better, like a real house. And so God said, okay, I don't really live in houses, but, you know, if you want to build a house, that's fine. But you can't build it because you're a, a, a soldier, a man of blood. And here's what, how about your son, Solomon, can build the temple? So David accumulated all the materials to build the temple. I mean, everything, even the stones that were going to be used, they were all, they were all um, carved and stuff at a different place and brought in. So all the supplies were ready for when Solomon became the king. And when Solomon became the king, you may have heard the name Solomon, even if you don't read the Bible that much, because Solomon was considered the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus. And you know why he was so wise? Because God appeared to him when he first became the king, and God said, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you ask me for. And Solomon said, wow, I, I, I need wisdom because I just, I'm, I just don't think I can lead these people effectively. And God was impressed. That, that's that's a, a very humble thing, isn't it? Not like Saul, you know, who would have wanted military victory or who would have wanted riches or a long life or whatever. And, and so what God said to Solomon is, since you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you that, and I'm going to give you a long life, and I'm going to give you military victory, and I'm going to give you all the wealth you could ever imagine. And so Solomon builds the temple. And this is the point of this message that God let human beings build a house for him. And when Solomon was dedicating the temple, and if you want to follow along, we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 8, 27 to 30. We're just going to read verse 27 right now. And this is what God, or Solomon asked God. But will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. You see, it didn't take the wisest man in the world to recognize that you can't contain the God of the universe in a building. And so Solomon is saying, how in the world are you going to you know, come here because we just can't fit you in here. And so we have to always remember, God is not limited to any particular place. He dwells everywhere. That's a very important thing because if he is God, who we say he is, you know, that has to be true about him. And when we think of God being in a cathedral or a temple or a worship center, you know, if he wants to come here, he can, but we certainly couldn't build one big enough that it would contain him. In fact, when David, King David, wrote a lot of, we call them psalms, they're poems or songs, and one of the things he wrote about was how how God is truly everywhere. And, and I'd like to read a few verses from Psalm 139. It says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Now, David lived a thousand years before Jesus came to the earth. And he said, God, you're everywhere. And, and, and there's no place I can go to get away from you. But here's the thing. We live after the time of Jesus. 
And when Jesus came, he did something incredible. After he died and rose from the dead and went back to heaven, he promised that he would send his spirit himself to live inside of people. And he did that on a day. We call it Pentecost. It was a Jewish holy day. And it becomes now a Christian holy day because on that day, the 120 people that believed in Jesus on the planet, that's all there were, were filled with the Holy Spirit inside the God of the universe was dwelling in each of them. And they went out and they told everybody that would listen in Jerusalem that day about this God who loved them so much that he had come as a person named Jesus who had died and risen again. And at the end of that message, the, the crowd said, what must we do? I love that at the end of a message when somebody says, what must we do? And Peter said, repent. Turn away from your sins, trust in God, you know, be baptized, and, and you'll be forgiven, and you'll, you'll be saved. And 3,000 people were, were saved that day, and the church was born. The church, people, there wasn't a building, although they went into the temple daily at that time, and they also went to house to house. So the early church understood you can worship God in a big place, you can worship God in a small place, but here's the point. The apostle Paul made this point very clear. You and I... If Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God lives inside of us. It's a very, very powerful idea and reality, isn't it? That God doesn't necessarily live in a house. God lives in each believer. So God dwells in, his, in and with his people wherever we may be. Some people like the idea that God is stuck in a house, right? And that we only have to come and see him on Sunday, you know why people like that idea? Because people like that have the idea that life is a pie. And we all have pieces. Like, this is our church piece of pie, and this is our work piece of pie, and this is our family piece of pie, and this is our having fun piece of pie. And I don't know how many pieces of pie are in your pie, but we might have four or six or eight or ten pieces of pie. And if you have the idea that God is stuck in the house, then you only have to deal with God on Sunday or Saturday night or when's whatever day you worship. But the truth is, God is the pie. <laughs> you see, God is the pie. So if we go to work, God's there. If we have fun, God is there. If we're with our family, God is there. And so what happens is, if, if you believe that God is just in a house, you can separate your God life from regular life. But if you believe that God is inside of you, <laughs> then it changes because everywhere you go, God is. And actually, God is where you haven't gone. And so I find it very comforting to know that wherever I go in the world, God is already there and God is with me. And, and, and in fact, it's very comforting for me to know that in my darkest moment, God is there. In my brightest moment, God is there. When I mess up, God is there and he corrects me. He convicts me of that mess up and gets me back on the path. So Solomon is having this time of recognizing that God can't be contained in a house, but here's what he prays. It's a very powerful prayer. He says, nevertheless, that's the nevertheless is because I know you can't live in a house, build, be contained by a house. Listen to my prayer and my plea, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. May you watch over this temple night and day, this place where you have said, my name will be there. May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live, and when you hear, forgive. So Solomon knew that God was everywhere, right? But he pleaded 
that God would be particularly in this place, this temple. That, that whenever he came to the temple or even looked towards the temple, he would pray and God would hear. And notice what he said in forgive because the assumption is that a lot of times we need to have God forgive us because we don't do what he created us to do. So God answered that prayer. God came and filled the temple that day just like he had filled the tabernacle or the tent of meeting out in the wilderness. And God's presence was felt. It was so thick that that the priests couldn't even continue to carry out their task because God was there in that place. So we can learn so much from this brief excerpt about God. Because while God is everywhere, God also lives in the house that his people dedicate to him. Now you might think I'm contradicting myself because I just said God goes with us wherever we are. He lives inside of us. And now I'm saying God lives in a house. Both are true. Because wherever the people of God go, God goes. And we can dedicate special places to God and God will show up there if we show up there and we glorify him. You see, God isn't here in this place because there's a cross on the wall, although I'm glad there's a cross on the wall. And if we had stained glass windows, God wouldn't be there especially, and you know, we don't have any windows, but, or if we had pillars, you know, those aren't what make God show up. God shows up wherever his people are. We were created for community. We were created for relationship with God and each other. And so when we come together in the name of Jesus, he's there. So when we build this new building, will God be there? Huh, of course he will be there. Because every teacher that goes into that place is going into that place with Jesus inside of them, with the idea that we're going to help children who may not know Jesus yet come to know Jesus. They're going to come to know the love of Jesus, certainly, and the truth of Jesus. And when we go as adults in there for a discipleship class, we're going to go with either with Jesus already in us or with the, the, the desire for Jesus to come in. And, you know, there, there are people who haven't yet trusted Jesus, probably in this room. And you're here because you're wanting to know, is this stuff all real? And as you come to that place, because there might be a class for, for explorers, we call them, people who are exploring, you know, and there might be a class there for people who are new believers, and you don't really know what to do yet. How can I, how can I have this presence of God that, that, you know, that the people up front here talk about all the time? How can I have that in my life? And so we'll have opportunities to do that in the building. Now, could we do that in our houses? Sure we can. And I hope we do. You see, large group, small group. It's not either or. And I've had so many discussions over the years with people going back and forth about, well, you don't really need a building. No, you don't really need a building. I mean, we could go out in the woods this morning and worship God. It wouldn't be so comfortable, but we could do that, right? He would be there. I mean, I mean we could go to a local restaurant and worship God. He would be there because his presence is in us who believe, and he goes with us. He goes before us. It's really incredible that this God who created the universe and can't be contained by anything has said to us, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So I'm excited about this new Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. I'm excited that we have this building because it is a little bit chilly out and the woods have a bunch of briars, you know. So I'm glad that we have a place where we can gather in these kind of numbers. And even though I'm finishing my basement right now, we all couldn't fit there. You see, so here we are today in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. And, and here we are to worship God, the God who dwells with his people, wherever we may be. 
So as we draw this series to a close, here's what we're really doing. We're embarking on the next step in our life together as God's family known as New Life Christian Ministries. I don't know what that next step might be for you. It's going to be something different for all of us, but we know that collectively one of our next steps is going to be building the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. We know that collectively one of our next steps is going to be to go back to Cuba and plant churches there in February. Several of us are going back. In fact, I'm so excited. Pastor Brad and Alex DeRosa, our youth pastor, are going to go with me this year. So the three of us are going to go and teach the Cuban pastors and missionaries, and I'm sure that we'll be taking dollars with us that we can build buildings. And now Cuba, who knows what's going on in Cuba right now, right? With the, with the passing of uh, Mr. Castro. So, so, and then in August, I'm sorry, July, anybody who wants to can go to Cambodia. Huh. We're going to go to Cambodia again, and we're going to prayer walk, and we're going to build, re, uh, do fixing up orphanage stuff, and we're going to love on the children there and show them the love of Jesus. You see, those are some next steps. What's your next step? I don't know. It might be to deepen your prayer life. It might be to deepen your walk you know, in, in, through the Bible. It, it, I don't know. Maybe it's serving your brother or your sister or your uncle. Maybe it's a, something at school or work. But we're embarking on the next step. And whatever it is, God already knows, and he's going to be with us because he dwells with his people. And I want to remind you of one more thing that Randy Elkhorn says in his book, The Treasure Principle. He says this. He says that everything we are and everything we have belongs to God. That is so comforting to me. That everything we are and everything we have belongs to God. This isn't our building. This is God's building. My house isn't my house. My car isn't my car. It's God's. And, and we can use it to God's glory. Or, or not. But, but the implication of everything being God's is that means that we're managers. And so the implication is we're either going to be good or bad managers. And my prayer is that we'll be better and better managers with each passing day, more and more generous as we share our time and our talents and our treasure and our touch out there in the world so that people, knows, people know there is a God who has a son whose name is Jesus, who loves us more than we can imagine, and that there is truth. And that truth is the anchor in those times in our lives when nothing seems to make sense. And that one day, we are going to be with God forever because he promised us that and all of his promises are true. So here's the closing commitment for this series. We will thank God by using our material resources to his glory this week. And notice it says, we will thank God. Usually it says I. The commitment is usually personal for each of us. But I wanted it to be collective. It's still personal. I mean, hopefully I, you and I individually will also do the same thing that we'll thank God by using our resources to his glory this week. But what I wanted to remind us is we're a family. We're a church family who together is moving in a direction of advancing the kingdom of God, starting right here in Saxonburg and moving on into the greater area here, the region around here, and then Pennsylvania and the United States and to the ends of the earth. And we're going to do that one person at a time until one of two things happens. We go see Jesus or he comes to us. Either way, we win when we're following him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much. I thank you so much for uh, your blessings in our life. I thank you so much for what we're seeing you do here among us as a people. We pray, God, that today, uh, as we leave this place, we'll remember that in two or three or fives or tens or however many, when we gather in your name, you're there in a special way. You're always with us but you're there in a special way. So God, I pray that we will gather in small groups and large groups, 
in this area that people might know your love, your joy, your peace, your blessing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.